like chapter 2. This is uh, the Apostle Paul telling the church at Philippi essentially what they need to do to be good Christians towards each other. Um, so, you know, there were a lot of problems in the early churches, and Paul constantly brings up sort of the same idea that Christians need to be united um, and, you know, how they should treat each other. There was issues at the time with you know, Jewish Christians who spoke Greek not agreeing with Jewish Christians who spoke Hebrew. There were problems with Jewish Christians not getting along with um, Gentile Christians. Uh, there were even problems with rich Christians not getting along with poor Christians. Um, you know, in uh, Corinthians, he talks about problems with, with Christians having disagreements and rather them uh, solving it amongst themselves, they were going to the local authorities and asking them to basically to be judges and to, and to solve those problems for them. Uh, so in this second chapter of Philippians, he's sending a letter to the church of Philippi and uh, basically telling them what they need to do to be good Christians. So I'm just going to read, I think it's about the first 16 verses of this, and I might pause every once in a while. Unfortunately, I think it's a, it's a good example of how English we speak today is not the same as English from 400 years ago. And so if you've got the King James Version, some of these words might mean a little bit different from what you think today. So I, I might just go back and just kind of talk about those. Uh, so it starts off, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ... If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So he starts off kind of with like a rhetorical question uh, because he seems to think that the church of Philippi already has these things that he's listing off. Um, so he says, if there be therefore, and then he starts his list, he says, any consolation in Christ. Well, what does he mean by that? Any consolation in Christ? Well, if you're consoling somebody, Right? Maybe something bad has happened to them or you know, they're going through a rough patch. If you're consoling them, you're giving them encouragement. Right? You're giving them hope for a better tomorrow. Right? So if we have consolation in Christ, we're, we're being encouraged by the gospel, uh, by hope for tomorrow, hope for his return. Um, and he sort of follows that up by saying, you know, the consequence of a consolation in Christ is comfort of love. Right? So we're comforted by that. And then he says, if any fellowship of the Spirit. So he's not necessarily, I think, talking about fellowship between ourselves, but fellowship with the Spirit. Um, you know, and if we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, what should come from that is uh, bowels and mercies. Well, bowels is kind of like, if I said I have a, a heart uh, for you, I don't mean I literally the organ a heart for you, right? In this case, bowels means inward like affection for each other. Right. So if you have fellowship with the Spirit or of the Spirit, you should have an affection for each other as Christians, right? And mercies. Right. What are mercies? Sympathy for each other, kindness for each other. Okay. Um, so he says, fulfill ye my joy. Uh, so he's already happy with them if they've got these things, which he seems to think that they do. But if you want to make Paul's joy complete, the church at Philippi has to do a few more things. 
um, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So he's, you know, pushing again and saying, you know, you can you can know the gospel, you can know Christ, but if you're not united, you haven't fulfilled Paul's joy. He wants you to be unified as well. Uh, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Uh, so in other words, don't do things as, a, as Christians uh, through strife or vainglory. What, what are strife and vainglory? It's, you know, it's, it's uh, selfishness. It's self-ambition. It's vanity. It's pride, right? So don't do things uh, based on those, those kind of motivations, right? You should be doing it based on, you know, comforting each other and loving each other and having affection for each other, not through uh, pride or self Ambition, right? But in lowliness of mind, uh, in other words, humility, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So focus on each other, not on yourselves. Um, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So here in Philippians 2 4, he's not saying look at each other's stuff, right? That's not what he means by things. He's saying, look at each other's needs, right? You need to take care of your own needs, your own family's needs, but you also need to look at the needs of other people in your congregation as well. And you should be focused on helping those people in your congregation fulfill their needs. Uh, You know, in Corinthians, he talks about how the wealthier Christians could bring food for themselves, and then they wouldn't share it with the other poorer Christians that were in the congregation. So... You know, you have Christians that are wealthy, Christians that are poor, Christians that are elderly, Christians that are young and able-bodied. So he's saying you need to look out for each other's needs as well as your own, right? Um, so in verse 5, he gets into the part where he's talking about, uh, you know, Paul, Paul throughout his letters, Paul never really builds up himself. He always bases his uh, ministry on Christ not on his own authority or his own word. He's just an apostle of Christ. So in the next few verses, he talks about basically the example that Christ has set. So he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So when he says, let this mind be in you, he's saying, you know, you need to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. So not the same attitude as Paul, but the same attitude as Christ. Um, Who being in the form of God, in other words, Jesus had the essence of God. Jesus was God. Um, you know, Paul seems to believe that Jesus Christ was more than just a man. He wasn't just a good person that needed to be emulated. He was God. Um, and, you know, Jesus, he's saying, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. In other words, um, I think what he's saying here is that, you know, when Jesus was, was giving the gospel and, um, you know, talking with people, he wasn't constantly saying, oh, by the way, I'm God and you need to worship me too. He was constantly directing people towards God the Father. Uh, Jesus did not come here to be God. He came here to be a perfect sacrifice for us. So Jesus 
um, emulated what a perfect person should be, and that is somebody who glorifies God. Um, so even though he was God, he did not see it as something that he needed to take uh, to be equal with God the Father, right? Um, but made himself of no reputation. Uh, in other words, he, Jesus did this to himself. He made himself of no reputation. He didn't he didn't you know, walk around and do like the Jews expected him to do as the Messiah and make himself an earthly king. Instead, he made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So he was humble. And that's what Paul is trying to convey to them is you need to show humility, not, you know, not self-aggrandizement. You need to not do things for yourself, but for others. Be a servant like Jesus was. You know, Jesus came here and was obedient to the Father, even though he was equal to the Father. He was, he was obedient to the Father because that's what we should be doing. He was showing us that. Uh, even to the point of dying. Uh, wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So if, if Jesus could do that as God, as someone who every knee should bow to, how much more so should we do that same thing? We should be humble and be servants to one another. Um, wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, as in my presence, as not as in my presence only, but also more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So Paul is saying is that you know he's happy with them because they've obeyed him not just when he's around, but also when he's gone. He's gotten a good report of their behavior. Right, um, And he says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, he's not saying you have to earn your salvation. They've already got salvation. But they need to, to work and, and, to, and to be obedient in their behavior, their daily lives. Um, he says, for it is God which worketh in, in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So Paul is reinforcing again, you don't need salvation, you have salvation. And God is working in you. And these are the things that you can do to show that. Uh, do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. So, you know, sometimes I think people say, you know, if you believe in the doctrines of grace, if you believe that. God can save you in spite of whatever you might want or do. Um, well, that's that's no good because then that means you don't have to do anything, right? You don't have to do any works, um, you know. But the result of salvation is works. It should be it should be good works, and you know Paul is talking about the things that you should be doing as Christians, and you know he's given this list. But mostly it boils down to be a servant to one another, mm-hmm. to God, and be humble. So several weeks we've been going over the um, responsibilities, the blessings, the requirements of deacons, and we looked at some areas that deacons could especially 
specifically minister. And then we looked last week at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians about all of us being involved in the ministry, in different types of ministry. And we looked at how that, especially last week, how that at different uh, it talks about it and he describes it as different operations, different administrations, different diversities of the ministry that we have and how that it varies it different. It varies uh, due to different stages in our life. We looked at how that young children have a special place to be able to minister in, in certain ways. I have I have uh, a whole lot of the uh, of the drawings that children have have drawn here uh while at church or at home and, and cards that I've received. And, and it's a great encouragement. And that's very appropriate for them. We mentioned how that when we're older, we have other uh, maybe abilities that God's given us or opportunities. And sometimes that's based on uh, uh, where we are in life, our age in life, our experience in life, and that we can use the, the gifts that God has given us. So they're different at different stages in our life. And that's what Paul is saying right here in in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, that he describes it as administrations, differences in administrations, differences in operations and differences in uh, diversities. So our gifts all different and they all vary to some degree. We also looked at it and saw the importance of using the gifts that God gives you and the principle that. Uh, in the talents that are given is that basically the summary is that if you use the gifts that God's given you, he will bless you with more gifts. If you don't use the gifts that God's given you, the example there is that he may take the gift that you have and give it to somebody else that will use it. So it's very important. God is God is a God of purpose. And when God gives us gifts, it's to be used to glorify him and to encourage his people. And so I want to get into, uh, I want to continue on in chapter 13. Chapter 13 is real good. And then if we can, we'll go over to Romans chapter 12. And it talks specifically about some of the spiritual gifts that God gives us. And we'll, we'll touch some that are just among our congregation right here. Paul says, as he concludes talking about the diversities, the operations, uh, administrations of gifts, He talks about in chapter 12 the importance of the church body, the church family, and how that it it functions so well together that when every single part is is doing their part, that it uh, it works very smoothly. Even parts that one might think uh, is of, uh, of little honor or no regard, he says it's very important in the entire body of the church. But he comes down and he says, all of this, the gifts that you have, the abilities you have, the insight you have, the wealth you have, the health you have, all of that really doesn't mean anything if it's not motivated by love. Number one, love for the Lord. And number two, love for the Lord's people. And so he sums that up right here in chapter 13, and he gets pretty, pretty stark with some of the comments that he makes here in chapter 13. Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass and as a tinkling cymbal. 
It's, uh, it basically is an obnoxious sound. He says, I may have eloquence of speech. I may speak with the tongues of men and it may even speak like angels. But if charity, which is love, is not the motivating factor within it, then we're missing the whole mark. You may have all insight. You may have all abilities. You may have a lot of knowledge. But if it's not, if the source of it is not based on love for the Lord and love for each other, then he basically says it's of no benefit of not any not. He says, and though I have the gift of prophecy, sometimes parents seem to have that gift. They can see down the road. They can they they can warn their children and they can tell their children this is what's going to happen if you choose this or you go that way. That's sort of the gift of prophecy. It's basically that that you can that you can see down the road that God gives you wisdom. God gives you insight to be able to help others. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries. There's a whole lot of mysteries in the Bible and some folks are blessed with a tremendous amount of light and wisdom on God's word and they can even explain it. But he says you may have all knowledge You may understand even the mysteries of the Bible and you might have all knowledge. And he says, and though, and I think this is interesting, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, you might have you might have tremendous insight. You might have tremendous knowledge. You might understand some of the mysteries in the scripture. You might even have a degree or measure of faith. But he says, if you have all of that. He says, and have not charity, he says, I am nothing. So it probably directs us right here that we ought to go before the Lord and ask the Lord, do I do these things? Do I practice these things out of the motivating factor of love for you and for your people? Because he says right here, that's the that's the that's the purpose he goes on through. He says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Now, that's that's that is quite remarkable. Somebody gives a large sum of money to help an organization. Maybe they get their name on a pew or they're recognized. He says, if that's the motivation, it's wrong. He says right here, you not that you just give a portion of what you have, but he says right here, he says, and though I bestow all my goods. So he's saying that not just a portion of your goods, but he says all of your goods. Now, you would think that would be very noble for somebody to do that. He says, though, I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. And he says, and then if I give my body to be burned. That's quite a sacrifice. You would think if somebody would give their body to be burned, that surely their motivation would be the love of the Lord. He says, and though I give my body to be burned and he says, and I have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Then what's he basically saying right here? He said, we need to make sure that our service, that our desire to be used of God is because of our love for the Lord and our love for the Lord's people. He says that's real important here. And then he describes charity. I think this is real good. You oftentimes hear this at a charge through a wedding for a young couple. Uh, It's it's great for all of us. Charity suffereth long. Let's just 
simply means that love is long-suffering, that you suffer long when you have the love of the Lord. Charity suffereth long. Charity is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. As, as Brother David has mentioned, charity is not promoting self, but charity is promoting the Lord and one another. He says, it is not puffed up. It vaunteth not itself. It envieth not itself. Charity does not behave itself unseemly. Charity seeketh not her own. Here's one for us. Charity is not easily provoked. Here's another one for us. I mean, surely one of these will help you. I mean, that's what this is here for. For us to look at the list and say, is there one of these right here that might help me? He says right here, charity is... Uh, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Charity thinketh no evil. You ever have it where your mind just automatically goes in that direction? Well, I think I know what their ulterior motive must be. He says, charity thinketh no evil. He says, charity rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. He says, it beareth all things, it believeth all things, it hopeth all things, it endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. He says, for we know that's here and now. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but that which is perfect, when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And then Paul sort of summarizes it right here. And and he he concludes. He says, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now here I know in part, but then shall I know even also as I am known. So basically he says that when he's talking about in verse 11, we start out in a childish state. But there should be in our life, there should be some spiritual growth. Some of the things that are very appropriate for children to do are not necessarily appropriate for adults to do. He says, when I started out, I understood as a child, but he says, when I became a man, I put away childish things. There should be in our life from a spiritual standpoint. We believe we're saved by grace. We believe we have a home in heaven. But there should be in our life, there should be a degree of spiritual growth as we live here in this life. And that this year we should have a little more spiritual maturity than what we had last year and what we had 20 years ago and 30 years ago. And so Paul is encouraging the folks right here. He said, when I started out, I I thought as a child, I spake as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. 
He says, we know in part, one day we're going to have the complete knowledge. But then he, he sums up this chapter right here. This is a real good chapter. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. So Paul, as he comes right off the heels of talking about the different abilities and the different parts of the body within the church body, within the church family, he says each one has its own special, special role to fill. But he says the whole thing, everything has to be motivated by your love for the Lord and your love for one another, the Lord's people. Let's go over and touch on Romans chapter 12. This is really good, and we'll spend a few minutes on this. This is, this is real good. We've been leading up to some of the different gifts that individuals have within the church. And let's look at this and see. Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> I have allergies real bad. I know it's allergies because I took a COVID test this morning, and it was negative. So, so you don't have to worry about that. But... Uh, And I don't have to worry about it, but um, Romans chapter 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You know, that right there tells us that it's very important that when we worship the Lord, that it's really important that we do it in person. That one verse right there sort of emphasizes it. He says that you present not your mind, not your thoughts, not your well intentions, but he says you present your bodies. Now, that's that's this body that we have right here. And he says that you present your bodies as a sacrifice. So he's starting out and he's addressing our commitment to worship. He says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable unto God. And he says, and by the way, that's just a reasonable service. It's not something that is um, out of the ordinary. It's what God has designed and expects us to do. And he says it's our reasonable service. To present our bodies a living sacrifice. And then he mentions a couple of things right here. And this this is really good. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's interesting right here that he's talking about that our mind plays a part in this. Now, he, he concludes in this verse something that's really important right here. Because I think this is... There are three things that are mentioned right here that lead up to a conclusion. He says, number one, you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You make a commitment to serve the Lord. You use your bodies to do it that God has given you. Number two, that we be not conformed to this world. That's hard to do because we live in this world. Number three, that we be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We've got to use our mind and think on the things of God and the things above. And if you are able to do those three things, if you're able to accomplish those three things, then he leads up to something right here. He says that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We say sometimes that we want to know what God's will is for us in our life. 
Well, right here, he's giving us three things that help us to know what God's will is for us in our life. Number one, to present our bodies a living sacrifice. I believe that also means that we worship the Lord, that we make a commitment, a priority in our life to worship God. There's been a whole lot of times that I can remember as a young person when I was in church that there was something that maybe I was pondering or thinking about in my mind or some direction that I needed. And it was amazing how that God would impress the minister to preach on the very thing that I needed. That doesn't just happen by accident. If it happens at all, it's of the Lord. The Lord's in the matter. God knows what you need. God can impress Brother David's heart, Brother Danny's heart, my heart to speak on things that might help you. God knows exactly what it is. And, and we trust that we look to the Lord to direct and guide. So one of the ways to know the will of God is to be in the Lord's house with the Lord's people. It's a great blessing when you're able to be in the Lord's house. Another way to know God's will is by his word. It's just simply by his word. You might say, well, I don't understand it. It's confusing. And there is a lot that's confusing, especially in Revelation. I mean, that, that one is just, that, that one, it's, 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 it's challenging. It is. I like Brother Van Solik's approach about Revelation. He said, Revelation, he said, it's, it's like yeah, almost in one of those kaleidoscopes. As you twist it, you, you know the end result that Jesus Christ is victorious. You know that you're going to end up in heaven. But he shows a whole lot of different angles as you're looking at it, as you begin to read through the book of Revelation. But God's word, you can start in, in uh, Proverbs. And, and those are really, really simple, short instructions on how to live. How to, as Brother David brought up, be a godly Christian. But he says three things right here. Number one, you present your body as a living sacrifice. Number two, be not conformed to the image of the world. Number three, that you be renewed by the transforming of your mind. And he says, as a result, you're able to prove. What does that mean? You're able to experience. You're able to justify. You're able to realize. You're able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, that ought to be our desire, every one of us, to have a desire to know what God's will is for me in my life, every one of us. That ought to be our desire, that we say, Lord, what is your will for me? Not concerned about everybody else. But what's your will for me? Do you want to know what the perfect and acceptable will of God is for you in your life? As we looked last week, we saw that God gives every single child of God some spiritual gifts, some spiritual talents, some abilities to use. Let's go down through it. He says, for I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you. Now, this is he. he in fact, I think this is really good that he starts off right in the beginning. He mentioned over in Corinthians, the, the different parts that, that were not all hands, were not all feet, were not all eyes, were not all ears, but were different parts of the body. But he said, just in case you realize what your gifts and your talents are. 
He said, be real sure that you don't let those gifts and talents exalt yourself. Look what he says right here. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you. I mean, this is just. It's just just down to earth principle in English right here. He says, for I say through the grace given to me to every man that is among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. He he reminds us that if we have anything at all, if we have any abilities, if we have any talents, that God gets the credit for it. That it's because of his grace that it's because of his gifts, that it's because of his mercy upon us and his love for us. And so we can't we can't take those things and then begin to think, as he says right here, more highly of ourselves than what we ought to think. But he says, think soberly. And what does that mean? Just spot on clearly without being influenced He says, for as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office. That's almost exactly what Paul references in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. But then he comes down and he talks about the variety and the diversity of gifts that God gives. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto us, whether prophecy, let us prophecy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching. Let's just touch on a few right here on ministering. I think this certainly, I think it certainly could be the ministers. I mean, a minister is called to preach and teach and hopefully present God's word and hopefully open up God's word to the benefit and the blessing of God's people. But I believe what he's talking about right here is not directed to ministers. I believe it's directed to all of us. That every single one of us have the blessing, the encouragement to minister Now, sometimes we get in the mindset to think about all the things we can't do rather than think about the things that we can do. Give you, for instance, many of you have experienced this firsthand. We enjoyed so much going over to Susan's place. It was a blessing to see her. She's uh, she doesn't have the strength that she used to have. She sat in her recliner and just enjoyed the children enjoyed the hymn singing. She's at a different stage than she was five years ago. But I remember when Susan had a little one-bedroom apartment. And one of her greatest desires was to have a Christmas party for everybody. Well, her place was too small for everybody to be able to go at one time. So Susan figured out a solution on that. She says, rather than everybody come at two o'clock, she says, it's going to be a come and go. From one to five or one to six. And Susan spent probably two or three weeks cooking cookies, making refreshments, doing all those things that 
that she wanted to make special for the church folks. And Susan, that was really important to her. And we enjoyed it. We would go over there and we'd sing hymns, we'd fellowship, we'd eat the refreshments, the homemade chocolate chip cookies she made. And everybody, everybody was blessed in that. It was a real, real blessing that Susan was able to do. That's using what God had given her. That's using the little one-bedroom apartment that she had. That's using the food that God had given her. That's using the energy that she had to, between, to, to put it all together. And she used that to honor God and to bless us. She did. Another gift that Susan had was those homemade chocolate chip cookies. When we'd have visiting preachers that would come, every time before they would leave, Susan would bring this big tin can of homemade chocolate chip cookies. I mean, they're, they're I'll borrow some of the young folks' term. They, they were over the top. They were really, really good. In fact, it got to the point that some of the visiting ministers that came, they started looking around for those cookies before they'd leave. Ask Brother Mike Rogers and some different ones, Don Richards. They were so used to getting cookies from Susan that they were looking forward to it. Well, that was a gift that Susan had, and it was a great blessing for us. It was. Sister Kathy Parker, Miss Brother Steve and Sister Kathy so much, but Sister Kathy Parker. She took a class or maybe multiple classes to learn how to do scrapbooking. Well, it's I don't know why they would call it that. It's anything but a scrapbook. I mean, it's a work of art. I, when, uh, when Kathy was here, she was always taking special pictures of individuals. You didn't even know she was taking pictures, but she'd be taking these pictures. And, and, and then all of a sudden, when someone was baptized a few weeks later, she'd hand them an album that was absolutely a work of art. I'm blessed. I have probably six or eight of these albums that have pictures that are absolutely beautiful. She did a work of art. They go all the way back 30 years. They're just really, really special. In fact, I had a minister at the house that was looking through these albums, and he knew most of those people that are now with the Lord. And as he was looking through these, these albums, he says, Brother Stephen, he says, you ought to get married and have children if for no other reason that you have somebody to give these to. Because he said, this is absolutely beautiful, a work of art. That was a blessing that, that Sister Kathy has. It was. The, the meals that, that folks provide. When folks are shut in and you, you sent food home with Brother uh, David last week and the meals that the sisters provide, that's a great, a wonderful blessing. My uh, good friend Shelly Johnson passed away in Lubbock. Her, her dad was my pastor and she was in her early 50s, lived in a little West Texas town, just passed away a month or so ago, had COVID three times and the third time she, she had lots of issues and she passed away, lived in little West Texas town. And yesterday I was talking to Brother Don Richards. He said, I went to the funeral. He said, I had no idea all the things that Shelly was involved in 
all the different types of things that she was involved in in the community to help other people. She did those things. We didn't know anything about it. And said, when she passed away, said folks started bringing food to the house. And said after the first day, the family had to call and said, don't bring any more food. We appreciate it. We're so thankful and we appreciate it. But people were bringing such amounts of food that they said, we don't have any place to put it. We filled up the refrigerator in the house, the refrigerator in the garage. We, we don't have any more space. That's a blessing that folks have the desire to do that and that they're used of the Lord to take a meal or a casserole or food. What a great blessing when that happens. <clears throat> He says, or ministry, let us wait on ministering or he that teacheth on teaching or he that exhorteth on exhortation. I I, I can't help but think about Sister Perry, how that even into her 90s, how that she was used of God to be a source of inspiration, not just 90s into her hundreds up to 104 that God used her. Up until he called her home to be, an, to be an inspiration to everybody that knew her. She, I believe she felt like that God had put her on this earth to be used of him, to be an encouragement to other people. And I have to tell you, she was a great encouragement to me. She was. My stepfather's here and he was involved in Texas in a prison ministry. Even into his 80s, he was involved in and going and spending of his time and trying to encourage people and help them that were in the prison. I think of one more. He says, or he that exhorteth on exhortation or he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. What does that mean? That just simply means that you give, but you don't, you do it simply. You don't do it for the purpose of bringing attention to yourself. Here's a good example. I was staying in the home of a, of a deacon and his wife in uh, North Carolina. I can't think of the name of the town. It was over on the east part of North Carolina. <clears throat> and this gentleman uh, told me a story. He said, I've been to the Washington area. And he said, when I was in Washington, he said, I stayed with Elder and Sister Compton. Now, any of you that knew Elder Compton, he and Sister Compton were very, very humble individuals. And he said, we were headed to church. And Elder Compton said, do you want to ride with me? I, I do need to make a stop on the way. And as they were headed to church, and this, uh, this, this brother's name is John. I can't think of his last name right now, but maybe it'll come. But he said, as we were headed to church, Elder Compton said, I need to make a stop. If you don't mind, I need to make a stop at the hospital here. Won't take long. You're welcome to go in with me. You'd stay in the car, whatever you'd like to do. He said, I went on in with him. And he said, there was a, an elderly a person from the Columbia Church that was in the hospital. And they had a medical bill that was due that needed to be paid. And Elder Compton went up to the to the office where the, the bills were. And Elder Compton asked him about the medical bill for this individual that he knew they didn't have the funds to pay it. And he said, I'd like to, I'd like to pay that bill. What is it? What is the amount of the bill? Now, Elder Compton didn't grow up wealthy. 
He grew up in a log cabin with a dirt floor. But God blessed him. He ended up taking care of the clocks in the Capitol and White House. And he, he was blessed. God blessed him in so many, many ways. <clears throat> he said, I saw this with my own eyes. Elder Compton had already passed away. But here's an example of Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. Their labors will cease, but their works do follow after them. He said, I was there and we went up to the bill, billing office and Elder Compton told them the name of the individual. And he said he knew that they had a bill to pay. And he said, how much is that bill? It was twenty five thousand dollars. He said, I saw Elder Compton pull out a check and write a check for twenty five thousand dollars. Never said a word about it. Went on his way. Went on about his business. That's giving with simplicity right there that you do it to honor the Lord that the Lord knows it and that brother Compton didn't go around telling folks about it this gentleman just oversaw it he says whether he giveth he giveth with simplicity he says he that ruleth let him rule with diligence he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness let love be without dissimulation Abhor that which is good, cleave unto that which is good. Abhor that which is evil, cleave unto that which is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of the saints and given to hospitality. My, uh, my grandmother and grandfather, I remember uh, on my mother's side, they would visit the elderly. They were in their 80s, and they would visit elderly and shut in, and people they were visiting were in a lot better shape than my grandparents were. On my dad's side, I remember my grandparents would always invite everybody to stay in their home, that uh, it was just known. Some of you grew up in that setting, but that if there were visitors, that they just had... A home, her home was theirs. Their food was theirs to stay in and, and open their home up for that. And I remember after my grandmother moved up here and her mind began to get a little bit foggy. Uh, she, that was just so ingrained in her to open the home up and allow folks to stay and have a meal. He says it could be given to hospitality. That we had a, a gentleman that was actually there working on the refrigerator and, and she couldn't separate gentlemen working on the refrigerator and somebody from church. And so before he left, she invited him to stay for a meal. And she said, and if you'll stay, we'll make you a bed. Well, he didn't quite understand that, but I knew what she was meaning. It was just so ingrained, given to hospitality. That's a blessing from God. It really is. There's a whole lot more here. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13. Read uh, Romans chapter 12. And as you read it, look at your own life and see where God's put some special, special desires on your heart. And don't look at what you can't do, but look at what you can do at whatever stage you are in life. And then use it to the glory of God. Give him the praise and realize that his love for you and your love for his is the motivating factor and your love for one another.
May God bless you.